Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. Follow your passion and the universe brings more and more gifts into your life. Find your right path and your passion and go for it. If you're worried about getting it perfect every single time, you're not going to do anything. You have to find something within yourself and that you want to express. All right, here we are again on the Crave Podcast. I would like to thank once again the Art Institute of Colorado for having us and hosting us today. And I am here with a very special guest. Her name is Lori Marie Muha. She's better known as Shelvis. For those of you who have seen her or heard her, I am here today with Shelvis. So excited. Lori is actually the lead and mastermind behind Shelvis and the Rastabouts. They are the ultimate rock and roll icon band. She sings not only Elvis, but also other musicians of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we're going to hear all about that today, um, as well as her story and what it means to be a female Elvis in a sea full of Elvises. So, Lori, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate <laughs> it. Absolutely. Let's start out with an inspiration, something that inspires you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a musician or Elvis or anybody like that. It could be a piece of art. It could be literature, uh, something that just inspires you that you carry with you. Well, you know... Uh, what inspires me young in life was, a, 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 well, yeah, I went to church a lot, and so was gospel music. Mm-hmm. Uh, inspired me uh, quite a bit uh, at a young age. But, uh, and I would have to say that uh, Gotham, gospel rhythm, rhythm and blues and Elvis together was the most inspirational music for me. Okay. You know. That led you to this path that we're on Exactly. Today. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's hear about your story. How did you get started with the whole, the Elvis persona and... Like, take us down that path, if you will. Well, you know, uh, growing up in New Jersey, you know, in Irvington, I lived next door to my, my aunt, uh, my mother's sister, who's my godmother, uh, Catherine, and, and she uh, loved Elvis. And I mean, I'm talking, I'm like three, four years old, and we would just hear Elvis records playing all the time over there. Okay. And i go over there and be listening to them and say, oh, this is, this is good, you know, and be hitting spoons on pots and pans. And it would just get burned in your brain, you know, between Elvis, Jerry Vale, Frank Sinatra, you know, Johnny Cash. Um, those were the influences uh, as a short, as, you know, short period of time mm-hmm. uh, that I spent at, at my aunt's house. And, um, and I just really loved Elvis. I just, I don't know why. There was something about his voice that was soothing. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know anything about him. Just loved his voice, you know. Just when you're three, four years old, you didn't, you know. So I would pull out a little rug during the holidays, you know, because our families would have our big uh, feast during Christmas and Thanksgiving. All my cousins would be there, and, and I'd put a pencil up to my mouth, you know, and I'd be... <laughs> Pretending I was Elvis, okay. you know, in yeah, front yeah. of the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> so you're performing at a young age. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and my grandfather said, let her do it, let her do it, you know. And my cousins, of course, got sick of it after a while, and they would tease me and stuff because, oh, we got to listen to Lori and watch Lori again. But uh, I would do it every holiday, you know. I just yeah. started doing the legs and moving around. And I wasn't singing. I was pantomiming, of course, but cause I was just a little kid. And as time went by... Um, you know, when I was about eight years old, uh, my cousin Kathleen was in a talent show in high school, and they were the theme was the 1950s, and they needed an Elvis. So my mother handmade a Elvis shirt and pants, kind of like a fringe, and I still have it. Oh, really? I still have it, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of looked like denim a little bit. It was like a denim shirt. And they had me do two songs, Love Me Tender and Hound Dog, Panamani. Mind sure. you, I was just a little kid. And that was when it all started. You know, I just You're got like, the I'm bug, the and that was it, yeah. But I had curly hair. I looked like a Tom Jones Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> so. When we were talking before we recorded, you are a fellow drummer. I also mm-hmm. grew up as yep. a drummer. Yep. And I always wanted to play in a rock and roll band. You know, I wanted to play drums. Yeah. How did you decide, like, I'm not going to be a drummer, per se. I'm going to just concentrate on this singing. Well, and. It was hard because I really like growing as a musician and I didn't want to stop playing so I played in a lot of rock bands just to keep myself fresh and learn uh, that music part of the industry as well because you know eventually I want to get a band to do my show Mm -hmm. but it was just a dream you know I remember I'm, I'm going from like a little kid to 
entering tons and tons of contests that I did in Atlantic City as a musician, uh, or, as or an as a as a singer, okay. as a performer, uh, from modeling to singing to doing dance recitals, things like that. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, I I had the opportunity to. <laughs> I don't know if it was an opportunity, but I uh, met Donald Trump. I was like 16, and uh, we were at the Trump Plaza Hotel. He was sponsoring one of the beauty contests there because that's okay. what he does, you know. Right, right, right. He was nice. I mean, I didn't at the time. I never knew he'd become president. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I don't think anybody. Thought that would happen. <laughs> so I was like, mm. anyway. Uh, so I did that to get build up my confidence. To be honest with you, to see if I can do this to be in this business because mm-hmm. that's what you do now they have America's Got Talent and now it's like major corporate and it's hard to even get your foot in the door to even get on those shows even if you have talent right right um, I've been uh, auditioned for America's Got Talent twice I had to go to Houston for one audition and then one was here in town okay now of course what I did they liked what I did but because of the licensing they couldn't have me on the show oh right so uh, it kind of was a bummer for me. Yeah, yeah. That's why they don't do impersonators anymore. The beginning of when they first started, they had one Elvis guy on there. Uh, and I think because Priscilla knew him and she gave the rights to for him to go perform, oh, right, young right, guy. Right. And then I think one of the person I saw did uh, Britney Spears, but I think there was a lawsuit or something. So they don't do that anymore. Well, how, how, how was Shelvis born? Like, how, when did that, when did you decide to take on that persona and... Well, for the longest time, I was doing impressions of males because I wanted to create a show that was like no other. And Mm -hmm. I still did females. I mean, I sang Linda Ronstadt, Joan Jett. You know, I sang just regular songs as a female Mm -hmm. in in my band and even just in shows, you know, as myself. But everybody does that, you know. I mean, it's like even if you were, you know, back in those days, you know, uh, even if you were Adele, it was still hard to... Get your foot in the door sure. because it was a different time. Yeah. Um, things were different uh, as far as be- being discovered. So I said, you know, I, I got to create something, you know. So I watched these films, Victor Victoria with Julia Andrews, Julia Andrews, and um, and I was watching Mrs. Dotfire, and I watched Tootsie, and I got this really masterful, mastermind idea that I could put all these characters male characters that I loved who were all over my wall growing up because yeah. they were like I was in love with them you know I was like teen idols you know Elvis was all over my wall I was a huge John Travolta fan huge yeah love John huge huge <laughs> I do the best John Travolta in the planet do you it, know that uh, I think singing that was really good what, I, what I've heard but you do him as a just vocal yes yeah, if you were sitting here with me you would think you were talking to him you see <laughs> so it's it's totally Laurie is a, is a, is a fantastic. Uh, she's a fantastic uh, entertainer. I just I love her. She's just great. Really, <laughs> really she's just awesome. But anyway, so I took all my male characters, and most of the uh, the characters that I didn't have patent down vocally were the hardest, which was Tom Jones. Sure. But I loved Tom Jones. I used to watch him when I was a kid, and I said, I gotta, I gotta do Tom Jones, you know. So I just practiced and practiced every day. Every day for like five years straight. Yeah. And I was tested it on different people. And then one day I said, you know what? I'm going to be in characterization. So I did shows in characterization and people just started loving it. But it wasn't until I entered a contest up in Blackhawk uh, in 1994 or five, I think it was. And it was the first search for Elvis. Okay. And uh, it was all men. And, uh, I was the only female. So, and they weren't going to let me do it. And I said, why? I said, just because I have two things in the wrong spot (laughs) doesn't mean I can't do it. Right, right. So they were like, well, you know, you have to audition. So I auditioned. And they were like blown away. And so I I got the opportunity and uh, I beat all those guys. Wow. $1,000. And uh, that's how Shelvis really was birth here in Denver. Okay. Back east, it was slow process. Once I got here, it just like took off. Right. Yeah. Right. And when did you move out here? In the 90s? Uh, yeah, in the 90s I moved out here, yeah. Uh, I came out on vacation and I fell in love with... Oh, that's most of us. That's yeah, what I Rocky, Rocky Mountain. But that's when it was 
beautiful. I mean, now it's so many people live here now, well, so it's changed, crowded. you know. So that was kind of like your first success with Elvis, and that's where Shelvis was born about 20-some 20, 20 years ago? Yeah, 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 pretty much. See, my friend Trish, uh, she came to me, she said, you need a name, you need, you need, not like, yeah, I used to call myself just the female Elvis, and that was like, eh, it's too big, it's too long. And I remember when I saw it on a marquee when I was at Yakety Yak Cafe, and that was a Seaside Boardwalk uh, club, it was 50s club, and I opened up for Bowser from Shauna and yeah. Chubby Checker. Uh, I remember those were big. I remember Bowser. Those were big highlights for me, being you know I was just in my early twenties, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so um, she said, "You gotta, you gotta. Come, why don't you call yourself Shelvis?" I'm like, "Oh man, that's awesome. It's a perfect name." Yeah. So and it stuck with me, and um, I got it copyrighted so I can put it on stuff and promote it, and um, just took off from there. And that's who I am. People, when they hear Shelvis, they say. They they know who I am now. Right. You know, before the female Elvis, that could be anybody. You yeah, know, so. absolutely. They know Shelvis is you. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. great. So, the obvious challenge of being a female doing this male act, obviously, mm-hmm. there's some challenges there. But what what's some other challenges that you've had? You know, I'll tell you what. I I really was confident as a as a musician. I I, I think performer would be more of a proper word to use because okay. I was scared of what what's going to happen, how it was going to be received right. by the public. Sometimes it isn't received as well. What do you do in those instances where you're doing a show and it's like cricket out there in the audience? I overcome it by coming out as a beautiful butterfly in the end. <laughs> That's how I overcome it. And then it's all better. <laughs> I, I'm not going to give any spoilers away to your show and how that evolves. That's why I said butterfly, you Yeah, know? no, it's... a. I've I've seen Lori perform a couple times now, and it's just a it's a beautiful show. And I've yet to see you with the full band, so right, I'm excited right, for that right. kind of performance. But it's a it's a phenomenal phenomenal show that you put on. And My biggest problem, though, I have to I have to add this is the, you know, agents in town here are just really mind boggling to me that they they call the you know like this. My manager Gary um, Osborne, he's been trying to get on this talent agency that she, she, she books a lot around town, but she's just real adamant about it because when he talked to her about me and she got our packages and her promos and she knows we're good and she knows we're a great show, but she just says, Oh, you mean the girl that dresses like a boy? Mm. You know, I, I don't have uh, any interest in that. You know, it yeah. kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Close mindedness. Um, Huh? I said close-mindedness. Like, Very much so. Yeah. yeah. So I said, Gary, you know what? We're going to get that. And, you know, somebody else is going to come along, and they're going to grab that brass ring, and it's going to turn gold, and then that lady's going to be sorry for what she said. Right. Because, you know, it, not only is it not professional how she spoke to you about me, but um, it's really ignorant. You know, this is... This is a world, this is 2017, 2018, you know, it's a world, very colorful world. And if you can't share all the colors with everyone, then you need to get out of the business. <laughs> right. That's You're what I'm be saying. Left behind. She'll, she'll be left behind. That's what I'm saying, you know. That's one of the things that really bugs me, you know. Well, well you, have a, you have a day job, right? Like a yes, quote yes. unquote day job? Yes, I do. Um, so well, my uh, question would be then, um, have you ever worked as a full-time professional musician and didn't have a day job? Only when I was unemployed. <laughs> but okay. no, I've always had a, a, a day job because I, I, you know, I'm, I have children and, you know, I have responsibilities and, you know, healthcare and stuff doesn't right. come so easy in the show business world. Sure. So um, I've always had to have a day job. So, yeah. Would you, uh, would you give that up, the day job? If, oh, if in a heartbeat. Yeah. 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 If I was making enough money where I can take care of, things that I need to take care of in the real world. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, even if you just paid my bills, I, you didn't have to pay me. <laughs> just give me free healthcare and pay my bills and I'll tour all over the world for right. you. You know, I mean, cause it's, it's the love, it's the passion. That's why you, you're in this business. It's why we do this. Absolutely. You know, and this is how people, you know, you, you make them go home and say, man, I, I had the best time of my life there. That was so much fun. Right. This right. was a great show. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not about me. It's about them. Right, right. I, I, you know, interviewing artists, I, I don't ask this question, but I always, like, think, 
I, when I talk to friends, I'm like, if you didn't get paid to do what you're doing, would you still do it? And most of my friends say, heck no, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> and I, and I, artists are like, absolutely. Like I do this and I don't get paid already. So, well, I mean, let's, let's, let's be realistic here. Most artists in this town don't make a living right, being right. an artist in this town unless you're signed on to a label or you're already there, you know? So what do you think is, how do you make that transition from being someone, being an artist who loves what they do to taking that leap to uh, full-time, this is my profession, this is what I get paid to do, or this is what I do, and I don't have to worry about the bills or the insurance or any of that kind of stuff. How do you make well, that leap? Well, then, then you just you have to adjust to it, and you also have to keep you're very focused, uh, you know, because you've got to be careful that you lose that passion when you're doing this as a job. Right. You have to be serious about it, and you, and you have to have your ducks in a row as far as your responsibilities, that this is the way... You're going to be doing it this way in this show, this town, this stage, this is the lighting, this is, you know, and you have to be careful that you don't get caught off up on all that and get stressed out because then you lose the passion mm-hmm. and you, you, you really need to sit back and, and, you know, like, you know, some of my favorite people like Bruce Springsteen, you know, he would always say stuff like, just go home and spend time with your family for a while and go back on the road, bring them with you. But when you're done with the show... Just go back home and be with your family and your friends and don't think about it. Just leave it there. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he did. So that's what you have to do. You have to kind of leave the job part there, but still keep the passion. Right. Well, I, I imagine as a musician, if you're touring and doing you know, 300 shows a year or something crazy like that, like you can get burned out pretty easily. Yeah, most people probably do get burned out but I think that's why a lot of the artists today don't do tours like they used to and, they, and their shows aren't as long Yeah, if you noticed I mean Springsteen does four hours Yeah, and he's over 60 <laughs> that's a guy who loves what he does right? Absolutely. you know what I mean he loves performing and so um, but then you have these newer acts out there do hour and a half show boom done two hours if tops Right. they won't right. come out and do three encores one encore you're gone and it's it's kind of like uh, the sterile thing I talk about, the sterile performance where everything is like, you know, I don't want to be like that, you know. I want to be able to be open and not have everything perfect during a concert, you know. If if I want to just do another hour, I will. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to be free like that. And if I want to be able to take time off, I'm going to take time off to reboot myself, you right. know. If right. And you got to recognize that too because you remember – Elvis performed seven days a week, two shows a night, most of his career. Right. And it really did take a toll. And he got burned out. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, look what just happened that Justin kid, he just (laughs) just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tour. He lost his mind for a while. I mean, like, just like Britney a few years ago, lost her mind. (laughs) But they can do that if they want. Right. Yeah, it might hurt your career. Maybe not, but... Maybe he was uh, overwhelmed. We don't walk a mile in his shoes, so we don't know. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We just lost some artists now because of depression and Soundguard and, you mm-hmm. know, the lead singer, you know, Chris. And, I mean, one never wants to be in that position where you get depressed or sad or whatever. Right. Because right. you're working too hard. Right. Right. You Regardless know? of what you're doing. Exactly. Music yeah. or going to pound them exactly you have to five. recognize it you know you yeah. have to recognize it and work out you know eat right do yoga you know go <laughs> I like that mind body spirit yeah here, well that's here on the podcast that's stuff you got to do you absolutely know? I totally yeah. agree yeah we talked about the birth of Shelvis Ch- mm-hmm. in the 90s 95 uh 96 during your time as Shelvis over the past 20 years what in your mind has been like the biggest success that you've had the biggest success hasn't yet come no I like that answer until that biggest success, like what do you love? What do you love most about your performing when you do the shows? My fans, yeah, just the reaction of the my fans, their faces and singing and dancing of all ages. Which is, we were at the Arvada Festival, and there must have been about I don't know, a couple thousand people there, and everyone from a four-year-old little girl to a nine-year-old woman they were out there just dancing it was the longest conga line i ever saw that's cool when we were doing viva las vegas and they were just hooting hollering and cheering they didn't want us to leave the stage and uh that's that's what i that's what i love how do you keep the enthusiasm with you or with with you in the band when you're playing to a, a like a dead crowd or a small crowd i always tell the band always play like there's a million people 
even if there's just one person. I'm going to tell you a story, and this is true. Yeah. You know, you know where La Junta is, right? La, no. It's like way south, like almost to. Oh, here in Colorado? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. South, like Southern Colorado, Colorado, it's almost yeah, in yeah, yeah. Mexico. Mexico. New Mexico. <laughs> right, New Mexico. So this lady was such a huge fan of mine. She paid me $1,000 to go down there and sing to one lady, the whole band. Oh, yeah, the whole band. The whole band. <laughs> she paid for our rooms. She paid for us to eat. Um, she paid for our gas. And, of course, we only had to play one hour for $1,000. Yeah. And I was like, and to me, that's pretty incredible. Absolutely. And it was this little, divey little Latino club. I thought we were going to get killed in there, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but they had the best Mexican chili in town. Yeah. It was good. And the rooms we stayed in weren't that great either. I felt like I was... Uh, you know, in prison or something. It was it was like all brick wall and it had a bed and old TV, not flat screen, mind you. <laughs> yeah, not so flat was, screen. <laughs> yeah, so that was an interesting that she wanted Shelvis for her birthday and she made it happen. That's cool. That's cool. And you would play to her the same as if you would if you're playing to a thousand. We did people. the whole thing. That's and great. she loved us. Yeah. And because she loved us so much, she gave us an extra five hundred dollars. I don't know where she got this money from. I mean, I think her dealer was in the back 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 of the club or something. <laughs> I mean, card dealer. Right, right, of course. Yeah, <laughs> Playing yeah. cards. Playing cards. So. <laughs> what's what, what's a, a lesson that you've learned? I mean, your your act is so different from a, a normal musician, and I think it's very original. What's a lesson that you've learned that you to really be humble? Okay. To be extremely humble about my talent. Because I don't think I'm talented. Why not? Because I don't. I just think it's a gift. I think when I was born, God gave me this gift, and uh, I recognize it, and uh, either use it or lose it, and I have to be humble about that. But you've also practiced endlessly. Yeah, but it's, it's a seed, Okay. You gave me the seed. The seed was planted. I had to water it. Okay. You know, if you don't water a plant, it doesn't grow, right? Right. Dying. So, and, you know, and, and I, you know, I have a huge faith in God. So I, he, he gave me this opportunity. And so I respect that. I think that's the biggest, biggest thing in my life. And I mean, I feel it in my heart. It's not just in my head. It's like in my heart. Right. It's like right. you're born. It's, it's hard to explain. It's like you're born with a feeling that you get when you're an entertainer and I think Elvis was a lot like that I don't think he cared about anything else but being on that I'm stage kidding. you know yeah I, I yeah. I'm a big Prince fan and, he was the same way and I and I noticed looking back after Prince died like looking back especially some of the earlier yeah. things that were recorded of him yeah. when he got up on stage he just you could see that he just loved to perform he loved it yeah and that was it. he didn't care what anybody thought of him or, or anything he just loved to get out there and perform and yeah. And the crowd always responded. So. Well, you know, like I said, you're born with it. And when you when you realize you're born with something like that, you don't, you don't take it for granted. You know, right. you have right. to really mold into what you believe is going to benefit other people from it. If you keep it all for yourself, then what good is it? Sure, sure. You know? well, and there's a lot of artists like that. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, I think people, there's a lot of people like that. That's know? true. Who yeah. aren't, aren't yeah. living their passion. Or, exactly. You know, like uh, Tony Robbins used to always say, I think he still does say, but he always says, like, live your passion. And I think I may have heard that 20 years ago, but for me, as I get older, it means something different. Sure, yeah. And it's just like, if you can do what, like you said, if you can do what you were meant to do and that's what right. you love, then everything else works itself out. Exactly right. And that's like I said to many of my band members, um, I said, how many of you here, you know, because sometimes we, you know, we get little arguments and this isn't right and that ain't right and whatever, but we work it out. And I said, how many of you here thought that you would be in a really successful band at the age that you are? Mm -hmm. And nobody can raise their hand. They never thought they'd be in any band whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Performing and being able to be in decent uh, venues and uh, be treated the way you're being treated. And because a lot of bands aren't treated very well. You're just another bean in the jar, right, right? You know, and so when you get that respect, you better 
you better be humble about it and, and be thankful, you know, because one day it could be all gone. Sure. And then, you know, when you are old in that nursing home and you're sitting there and you're wheelchair or walker or whatever, you're not going to be one of those grouchy old people that didn't do anything with their lives. You're going to be happy and you're going to talk about stuff. Right. And this is the stuff you're going to talk about. And your kids are going to say, hey, mom and dad, do you remember when you did this? And, you know, and they're going to be grown and you're going to be older and you're going to say, you know, I, I accomplished something in life because it was my passion and I went through with it and I'm, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. And then the band gets really quiet and they don't say a darn word because they know. And none of them quit. No. I may have fired two people, <laughs> but none of them quit. So, how many are in the total band? How many people? We we usually have seven, but we incorporated another guitar player, uh, Mike, because we wanted uh, Dran to have my other lead guitar player a break every now and then, and if one's gone, the other one can take over because uh, he has uh, children and you know have sports and recitals and other things that are going on. So sometimes he. He's out of town. Right. Yeah. I've seen you perform as a solo, and I've seen you perform with a handful of the band members. Mm-hmm. How often does the full band uh, All the perform? time. Matter of fact, we have one next week. Yeah. At, uh, Do you perform weekly, the band? Uh, sometimes, you know, pending. Sometimes we have two a week. We have two back-to-back, depending on Gary. Gary uh, sends out the uh, schedule. He'll get the phone call. But we always schedule in advance because people... You know, or People doing other lives. things sure. and stuff. But we at practice every other Sunday and every Wednesday. Yeah, you were saying you practice twice a week. Yep. And, and without fail. Without fail. Yeah. I, Unless somebody's sick or there's an emergency, then we don't, you know. Well, this goes back to watering the seed. Pract- practicing without fail or practicing, like, on a regular basis? Yeah, you have to because practice makes you- perfect. And also it gives confidence in my players so mm-hmm. that when we're out there performing, especially if it's in a huge venue, uh, they don't, uh, you know, feel uncomfortable with themselves. You know, you want them to feel confident. And if you don't play for a while, you can get kind of rusty and sure. you can mess up. I mean, I mess up all the time. But that's the great of beauty of, you know, just kind of like being an improv person. <laughs> Improvisation is like the greatest talent I ever was taught in, in school. <laughs> how much of your act is, uh, is improv? Cause, cause a lot of it is. A lot of it is. Yeah, a lot of you... it is. Uh, even, you know... And and that goes back to Elvis. Elvis improved all the time, you know. Um, uh, a lot of it is improv because we want to be real. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be just like, like I said, that sterile Elvis or that sterile performer where everything's exactly the same. Right. Because right. it's, it's boring, you know. It's boring for us, you know. Do you have a favorite Elvis song that you like to perform? Nope. Do you have songs that you won't perform? Elvis songs? Like, I just can't stand this. I'm not going to play this one. You know, this could be really bad for Elvis fans out there, so I don't like to say. <laughs> We're keeping it PC here I on the podcast. I try to keep it. I try to keep it. Keep it. <laughs> I can appreciate that. <laughs> you what, know, so. What's one piece of advice you'd give to a musician or an artist that could help them when they're starting out? Don't ever say can't. The word can't is not in your vocabulary, ever. That's like saying no, right? Like... Yeah, can't never, do this. Never say can't. My mother always told me that through high school and you know when I was in sports and stuff, and she said, "Never say can't." I don't want to hear that. It's not in your vocabulary. That's good advice, actually. And so advice. that's the only thing I can give to those out there who are artists, and um, never let anybody tell you what to do. You know, unless it's going to be good for you, benefit you. Don't ever let anybody write your. Ride your shirt tail either. Okay. Because that happens sometimes. Yeah. And um, and just remember the passion and be humble. Remember to be humble. Because once you lose that innocent part of you, it's over. People don't like you anymore. How do you, how do you walk that line? Like, you, like where you're like, I know that I'm good at this. I know that I please the crowd. I can see the results. Because I'm around other... Elvis's and I see their behavior. Okay. And I don't ever want to be that. Yeah. You know. Do you, do you have family that kind of keeps you humble that says you know you're good but like let let's not let it get to your head. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. all the yeah. time, yeah. Because my my family's in my my family's in show business and I mean it's a job you know too, but uh, yeah, I know I'm not the greatest. I just know I'm good at what I can do, what I know what to do in my show. Um, I never put myself on a pedestal as far as that goes, but I 
am thankful for the talent that was given to me mm-hmm. from the time I was a baby. So I just appreciate that. Do you, how did you overcome this stage fright? Or did you ever have stage fright? Do you get stage fright? You know, I was actually shy when I was a little girl. Very, really, really shy. I don't get stage fright anymore. But um, I think I lost that stage fright when I started doing the contests and winning contests and getting exposed to audiences more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And that's how that went away. Uh, otherwise, I was... I wouldn't say I was stage fright. I think I wasn't confident enough. Okay. I, I, I felt like people would laugh at me if I wasn't good enough. And that's where the practice comes from. Right. You know? Right. And then once you see that you have achieved stuff, you know, winning contests and having people going up and telling you credit what you do and, you know, uh, and having also support of my mother. My mother was humongous, uh, huge fan of mine, and she supported me 100%. Mm-hmm. Always was my backbone, so... I, I hear that a lot with um, artists who talk about like their family, a family member, whether it's mm. a parent or a sibling or a spouse who yeah. is a support. Like you have to have that support system, and if you don't, like you can still make it, you can still be successful. But if you don't have people that allow you to do what you want to do and support that, right. then it makes it a lot harder. My work. family always supported me. My my brothers, they were they were always confident that I was going to be doing this till. I'm old and gray. They were pretty. <laughs> they were pretty confident. So, um, but like I said, you know, it's just something you just don't wake up one day and say, "Oh, I'm going to be a tribute artist or impersonator, singer, drummer, or whatever." It's instilled in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you ever get nervous before you go out and perform Never. these days? Nope. No. I can't wait to get out there. I get bored backstage. Actually, I'm like, oh, let's go, let's go. Is that? Do you think that comes with the confidence of knowing that? Oh yeah, you can do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it goes back to practice. That's right. Put the time in. And, and and if something doesn't go right, I'll do something where, in the show, the band will go, "What the hell is she doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, I think that's good too. You know how to you know how to uh, overcome when because something's gonna go wrong. You know it's gonna go wrong. Yeah, I'll stop them right it? in the middle of a song. You Have know? you done that? Before? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've seen it done with famous people. I mean, uh, when I saw Blondie, um, Garbage was singing, and she just stopped the band and apologized and started it over again. Really? And so there's green. I'm like, Phew. I am so happy. <laughs> I am not the only one that does that. <laughs> well, at least if you didn't do like a Mariah Carey did, then walk off stage. Oh, uh, please. Like, yeah. Well, she's not a humble person, so right, that's right. another person that I'm not real fond of, so I'm not being on pop stars like that when they when they lose that humility yeah you can't you can't it's just it's wrong you know people are starving life's a banquet and people are starving to have some of that banquet that you already have right Right. you know give them a little bit yeah sure sure you know so um we talked at the beginning you said that you were inspired by gospel and blues yeah gospel and and blues yeah so Mm -hmm. who are three artists that inspire you obviously other than elvis or or other famous singers that you impersonate who are three artists that you I love Buddy Holly. I'm I'm a huge Buddy Holly fan. I just thought he was such a unique writer, and his sound and his guitar playing was just over the top. I think he was way ahead of his time, you know? Yeah. And I just love that sound that he had um, and his writing ability. Um, I am a huge, believe it or not, I'm a huge fan of the Four Seasons and Mm. the doo-wops. Grew up in growing up in Jersey, you're gonna be part of the doo wops no matter okay. what, and so the platters and you know the Four Seasons and uh, you know Temptations and all that, uh, those were like super groups, man. Those were like their vocals were just over the top. Yeah, you know what I mean. With the harmonies and oh god, yeah. yeah, and that's hard to do. I mean, I mean, it's it's just hard to do. Sure, you know. And then later on in life, you know, I. I liked, you know, Steely Dan and other Bruce Boston and just different bands that I thought were really vocally. Because I always concentrated on the vocal for mm. some reason. Well, because you're a vocalist, maybe. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was a drummer, you're, 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 you know, but... You know I, that when you get out there. Do you ever play drums when you tour? No, not too often. No? No. Do you have, still have a kit? Oh, yeah, I have two kits. You do? I yeah, have yeah. a studio in my house, in my basement. You go down there and jam out? Yeah, I have an old Roger set. My mother, my mother won the lottery. She won a couple of hundred bucks you know and uh, 
we were kind of poor Couple growing up. Couple hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you make it sound like a bad Well, back in the back in you know, in the eighties, you know, right, if right. you won a thousand dollars, you could buy a decent drum set. True. You know, absolutely. So my mom said, "Your sister wants drums, man. I don't know. I can't afford them." So she played the lottery and she won, and she she bought me drums, and uh, it's a beautiful Roger set, thick hardware. Now it's a. Classic. It's a vintage because yeah. they don't make per- them anymore. Is it pearl? And I still have it. What's the uh, the shell? It's they... it's pearl. Yeah, yeah well, there you go. It's actually tan because okay. people were smoking in bars then. <laughs> <laughs> so you could see if you take it apart, it's you'll see the white bit. and then the yeah. So, um, but I still have it and it's down in the basement and my drummer plays on it and uh, she bought it bought them for me when I was sixteen. Wow. Yeah, I used to go to the pawn shops and buy pieces and put them together because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. And just tape them and play on that. And then she finally bought me a professional set. And those guys were heavy. Yeah. Ugh. Do you have a desire to play? Oh, yeah. When I was you show? playing this weekend. Like, okay. um, no, yeah, I do have sometimes. Sometimes I want... But I want to, you know, step on Kurt's shoes, my drummer. Okay. That's his That's his baby. Yeah, right. You know, so... Um, him and I bang heads and practice sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> he seems to forget I'm a drummer, you know, oh, right, and, right. and You're like, a bass yeah. player. So when they, when he's not in tempo or something's not right, I'll say, Kurt, it's wrong. No, it isn't. No, he's the kind of guy that writes the measures down. Okay. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Everything's... By ear. Yeah. That's how I play taught, too you know? these days. I'm like, dude, oh, please, you know, I love you. You're a great drummer, but listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he will. And I'll say, can I get behind there, please? And he'll say, okay. And then I'll do it. And then he'll catch on. Right. Because he's a rock drummer. This is the first time I think he's ever played in a band that's so, the dynamics of drumming, he has never played before. Yeah. Like, he never told me playing, like, Tom Jones or, <laughs> you know, Buddy Holly. He never thought he'd be playing that kind of stuff. Right, you right. Know? Classic rock drummer. Yeah. That's what he does. That's but, what, you know. That's what I do. And a few years ago, I got invited to play in like a Sunday gospel band that was like blues and uh-huh. and kind of like southern blues and jazz. And uh, I didn't know really any of the music, like any of the kind of you know the Christian music or anything, right, but I right. knew the sound, and right. so I could play along with the sound. And right. it was so much fun. It was such a different thing right, from what right. I grew up yeah, playing. Totally. Yeah, so I can yeah. totally see that. It happened to me once. Um, I I auditioned for. They needed a drummer for it was a uh, I think it was a twenty four set. Uh, big band mm-hmm. doing a dance and their drummer quit and it was all old guys they were all like maybe in their 60s yeah and they're playing horns and you know trumpets and trombone and all that stuff so I needed a drummer and I was a pretty big fan of Glenn Miller because uh-huh. my grandmother listened to him all the time okay so I auditioned and they hired me and uh-huh. I was the just hot chick young girl <laughs> and they were all white and I wore black oh yeah and I was playing all this stuff and they were amazed and yeah. uh, that was pretty fun I, I overcame something like that I, I didn't think I was able to do that but uh, it was such a, a tremendous opportunity it was fun it was a lot of fun yeah 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 it's good when you step outside of your comfort zone oh, a little yeah. bit and try something different yeah usually it either ends up in disaster or it ends up being really really fun well they were surprised they were shocked yeah because there was they all these guys out or... there playing and my timing was like spot on. They were just like really, we want to hire her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Plus I was cute and they were a bunch of old guys, you know. You got to bring a little color to the uh, oh, group. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, what do you think holds most artists back? You, you talked about like overcoming the the fear with confidence and things like that. But what do you what do you think holds artists back from becoming professionals or becoming the best they can be? Well, nowadays everybody could do their own. Everything's on iTunes and YouTube and stuff. So you have I think it's easier to overcome your your fears because you're getting into the technical side of it and you're getting exposed to audiences before you play live. And then you get, you know, a taste of hanging in different groups of people. Where I was, it was limited. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest fear for artists is failure. People, I hear that all the time. Yeah, fear of failure. Failure, I think. So how do you over, how did you overcome it? I told you, can't is not my vocabulary. <laughs> Going back to the can't. I like that. I like that. So what happens if you, I mean, if you do fail? Like you said, you said you, you would stop a show or you would stop a, a, a song and reset. Well, I don't, I don't, like, I don't hey, think that's a failure. I think that's something that you uh, work on. You just use it as an example that you don't do it again. 
and correct it. Right. A failure yeah. is when like you crash and burn and you walk away and give up. Exactly. Yeah. I don't do that. So if you crash and burn, you figure out why you crashed and burn, and then yeah. try it again and try not to crash and well, burn. Well, the Etta James story is a perfect example. You know, she she was a heroin addict and she crashed and burned, and she got this new agent guy, this this, and he helped her mm-hmm. and got her clean, and then she became huge and successful and changed her. He changed her whole life because he believed in her and he got her clean and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. she was a tremendous voice and great talent. Did you ever? Can I ask? Can I get personal here? Did sure. Did you ever um, fall into like the drug crowd? It seems like drugs and music go hand in hand together. You know, I experimented stuff. You know, on and off when I was in my twenties, but I never got addicted to anything ever. How do you keep that out? Because you see it happen all the time. I mean, you talked about Bieber, like he fell apart there for a while, and then, well, and then we have musicians. Whitney Houston fell addiction apart. Addiction is. I, I don't want to say this. Addiction is a different type of thing now than it was when I was growing up. I also grew up in a smaller town, so it was small scales of addiction, so to speak, than a, than a big cities and stuff. Until mm-hmm. I went to the big city, but I think this has to be. I mean, let's look at Elvis. I just think it's the yeah, individual. He, the individual has to just say no, man. I'm not going to do this, you know, and and step outside of that circle. I mean, it's and you know, it's easier said than done. Like I said, I don't walk a mile in a lot of people's shoes. A lot of your country artists, a lot of people who were very highly respected in the industry become alcoholics. They have different demons. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs. Uh, I think, and, I, and I'm pretty sure it's because I had a pretty strict mother and my family values meant a lot to me. And uh, it was unconditional love in my family. So I never felt that I had to use a substitute or substance to feel loved or cared about um, to the point where it became an addiction. When I did it, it's because I was partying. Right. You're going to try it, and then you're like, okay. (laughs) And that was it, you know? Not for me. I'm done. But it wasn't something that I had to do to get through the day. Right. You know? And I guess it's been like this throughout history. I mean, Elvis died from prescription drugs. Right. And, I mean, you hear so many famous people and and musicians. Including Prince. Prince, Jackson, I mean, Whitney... Well, I think when people like them come as as big as they are, I mean, I think it's different situations for, for Whitney. I think it was, I think that Whitney always dabbled in drugs. She was from Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It comes down to loneliness. I think Whitney was lonely. There was something. Something she was trying to fill, a void she was trying to fill. Yeah, but we don't know her childhood either. We don't right. know a lot about it. Um, I know her mother sang for Elvis. And she met Elvis, mm-hmm. and her mother was in show business, but she quit to be with her family. So we don't really know what happened to Whitney as far as her childhood and why that happened. With with Elvis Presley, I think, it's like, how do you go from a one-bedroom house with no running water, no toilet, just an outhouse, to being one of the biggest personalities in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that time, he was it. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. wasn't like a Michael Jackson and Frank Sinatra, but they came later, but he was like He was it. the top. He was the top of the... And try to live the, still that humble country boy. I mean, Priscilla said at the other day on, on radio, she said Elvis never changed. His lifestyle changed as far as his house, his, his, you know, his personal items and things like that, but he never changed. Mm-hmm. You know, he always stayed that humble boy from Tupelo, Mississippi. He wanted to be that humble boy from Tupelo, Mississippi, and he did everything for his family. He never did it for himself, never cared about money. Mm-hmm. And I think he got in a depression, and, yeah, it's it's very easy to uh, do drugs, to go to sleep, to wake up, to deal with... Um, other kinds of pressures, you know, and uh, I think after the, after a while, you just get addicted. And if you're the money bags, of course, nobody's going to stop you. Right, right. If you're the money train, yeah, nobody's going to train to keep yeah. going. I mean, people can tell you, Elvis, you need to stop. You need, and he get mad because you know he he felt he was doing it because he needed it. You know, right. it was the same thing with Prince. He thought he needed it because he was in pain. Right. Uh, same thing with Michael Jackson. Then again, we don't know what Michael Jackson's childhood was like. You know, I mean. I don't walk around in those men's shoes or whoever who isn't famous. 
But my suggestion is don't put yourself in that position. If you know you're in a room full of people doing heroin, walk away. Yeah. yeah. Don't even try it because it will kill you. I think that it goes back to what you kind of the theme of this is like staying humble and yeah walk away from because I mean knowing that you have talent knowing that that talent's going to be recognized but don't get too big for your own britches it's 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 true it really is I mean yeah remember now you're dealing with these egos those folks have huge egos yeah you know Whitney and Prince and Michael and you know and I think that's the only thing they were hanging on to and then the human side kind of got lost and that's why they had substance abuse right you know what right. I mean I, I mean that's just my well, we're getting heavy. I don't know <laughs> we're getting really heavy yeah. I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know I, well, all I can say is don't do drugs because you will fail right right yeah whatever that may be so so you um, bring, bring it back a little bit lighter yes <laughs> let's get lighter you you had a long career as a as Shelvis mm-hmm. and and your focus is on these like 50s 60s 70s mm-hmm. musicians is there anybody today that you listen to that inspires you it's modern modern music oh that's a hard question um you know i i listen to a lot of colorado uh the colorado sound radio station and i listen to a lot of the uh local artists here mm-hmm. and i have a lot of respect for a lot of the new artists that are coming out of Colorado, such as the Lumineers and, you know, other artists too. And um, different artists inspire me on a daily basis that I hear in non-commercial radio. I don't, I hate commercial radio. I hate it. I hate it. Hmm. That's a hard question because every day I'm listening to new music and getting into new artists every day. My kids keep me up on stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I keep that. that way, and yeah. Sometimes I keep them up on stuff too. So I'm very open-minded uh, in that aspect. But I got to tell you, it but, really is hard to say. But you listen to a lot of local music, and yeah, I love the local Colorado music sound. I, I think it's great, great talented people here. It's a yeah. lot of talented artists here. A lot of a lot of great bands, um, writers, musicians. Live venues. We. I, live I, venues, I don't know if this yeah. is still true, but the governor said last year that we have more live music venues than. Than Seattle. It's true. So. It's true. And, you know, of course, the beer industry is brought that beer. here. <laughs> beer and music go hand yeah, in hand. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And uh, a lot of the breweries have opened up venues where there's live music more so, mm-hmm. where a lot of mm-hmm. like uh, Nathaniel, I do like Nathaniel uh, Rathcliffe. I think he's uh, he's fantastic. I yeah. love him. He's a, one artist I'm Nathaniel Rathcliffe? By. Yeah, I love him. How do you say his name? Nathaniel? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. I say we say that wrong. I don't know why. It's got one of those tongue-tied <laughs> we'll names. Yeah. We'll check it out. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. If you had 60 seconds with 20-year-old Lori, what advice would you give her? Go to college. Yeah? Have you? Ever, did you go to college? No. No? Why do you think that uh, you would tell her to go Couldn't to college? Couldn't afford it. Why, why would you tell her to go to college? Uh, to be a better musician. Okay, like yeah. go to a, an arts college right, or a music college. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went for a little while. Uh, I went to an acting a theater, HB Studios in the Village. Okay, but it was expensive, and growing up poor in in Jersey, you know, my father wasn't around. My mother raised me and my brothers. It was difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have went back to college to learn more about, you know, music and the technical side of it. Also other instruments, you know, just to kind of educate myself. So when I am at this age, I could have done more on my own. Yeah, yeah. You know, but as far as technical okay. side. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I like I said, you, you, you can't teach somebody to be talented. It just is. Right. So I'm thankful for that, and that's really what opened up a lot of doors for me. Are um, you familiar with the, the, the 10,000 hours theory? Mm-mm. Malcolm Gladwell, uh, author, he writes about 10,000 hours. And, and um, to become an expert at something, a master at something, requires 10,000 hours of study or work or practice or what have you. Mm. And I, I guess I just thought of like Michael Jordan as a good example. You know, there's a famous story where he was in high school. Mm. His high school basketball coach told him to quit, that he would never be a good basketball player. And so he was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he set out to become good. Mm. And I don't think that he ever realized he would become one of the best basketball players, but he practiced and he practiced and practiced, he practiced right, and he practiced. Right, right. 
and had a, an outstanding career as one of the best basketball players ever. And But he had someone tell him to quit when he was a kid that said right. he'll never be good enough. And I think that goes along with your can't earlier. Like, no, I don't, don't like listen that to someone word. who says can't. Yeah. Don't listen to someone who says you no. can't do this. No, nope. you don't let anybody tell you that you, you're not capable of doing something. You are able to do whatever your mind you put your mind to. You can, you can do it. Yeah, we've seen it over and over again with people um, that have been in some situations and they survived those situations because they believe they could. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the guy landed a plane right in the Hudson River. Yeah, right, for sure. <laughs> Saved a bunch of lives. Yeah, That's yeah. right. So. You know, some pilots would have said, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. But <laughs> right. he, he knew he could do it, and he did it. So, I mean, we could sit here and talk about all kinds of examples, but I'm just saying that uh, a lot of people, that's probably when they decide they don't want to do it, when somebody tells them that. So never tell anybody that. Right. Teachers, whoever, your parents, friends. If anybody tells you that, don't listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about. Well, and I think within the 10,000 hours, you've you've – put that into practice without even realizing there was a thing, a 10,000 hour thing. Cause you, you've been practicing for many years and you still practice twice a week to just stay sharp on your game. And I like it. Yeah. We, we like to have the relationship with each other during practice. We, we laugh and we joke and sometimes we do, uh, you know, live Facebook and we goof around and we say, we're working on our Christmas songs and the fans love it because they see the real side of the band. Sure. And we're laughing and giggling and we're not just this, poster on the wall you know right right we're real I, people i think that's the cool thing about today and the internet because I, like I, like you I, I had posters on the wall i had madonna posters and i think i had prince and michael jackson but yeah. I, they were always kind of out there like here's an artist and they're larger than life right, and they're right. on the wall but with today's social media and the internet like we can see behind the curtain it's pulled yeah. back a little bit yeah. we can see that these are actually real people with real yeah. lives and some pen, some people like Sean Penn would disagree with that because they don't <laughs> like the media. <laughs> right. Boom, you know, <laughs> right? Because it's it gets too intense because your your personal life, you know, gets interrupted a lot. You know. Well, so. what are you working on today? What's what's up for for Shelvis and the? Well, and I really want to emphasize on this: we are we are not an Elvis tribute band. We are not an Elvis tribute band. Okay. Regardless of the name Shelvis and the Rostabouts. We are not. We are a band of of, collective, of different styles of music and icons of the past uh, and present, because I do, of course, Sh- Shania Twain, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, we do a lot of other theatrics in our show. It's not all about just rock and roll artists. We do the Grease soundtrack, yeah. which is fun. We're just the ultimate fun band, you know. We're a show, but we're also a band that takes our... Uh, icon seriously and so in characterization that i do of multiple personalities it's not just elvis so those of you that see us on a poster or hear about us don't just say oh it's just the elvis tribute band because we're not you know not to take that away from elvis because he is a big part of the show and uh, i do love doing uh, elvis presley but we also want to um get music out there for all people of all ages and so um we don't want to be known as a tribute elvis band sure sure and i and i in seeing you you've done a a, you have a whole cast of characters if you will that you perform and put on the costume to kind of tie it together and sometimes it's just a little piece i can't remember what i you were doing something and you you pulled something out and it was just like it turned you, and it was, I it think it might have been Tom Jones or right, right. like put the glasses on or something, and yeah, all of a sudden yeah. you just transformed. Trans- right, and that's that's what the band's about, transforming into these icons, you know, of uh, the present and the past. And um, we also are in the studio. We've written a, a few originals. Okay. One of them is called uh, 2 a.m. at the Breakfast King because we go there after a gig and have really good coffee and eggs and ash browns. <laughs> if anybody <laughs> knows where that's you know. located, because I, I think it's pretty popular here in Denver. Yeah. And uh, Laura Whitlock wrote that, and uh, the band collaborated on it, and uh, we just recorded it in the studio. We also did a remake of uh, Never Been to Spain. It's on iTunes, and that's because I love Three Dog Night. Okay. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs. And... Um, we have a couple other songs coming out, uh, The Burless uh, Baby, and Just Go With It. And also uh, we're working on a James Bond kind of rockabilly 
Elvis type songs. So we fun. are doing a album of originals, and they will be uh, uploaded on iTunes in the next couple months. Right now, we just got two done in the studio. Okay, so, so you are going to have an album, a full, yes, like a are. full album, yeah. Mm-hmm. On I- so look for that on iTunes. It yeah. will it be under the Shelvists and the Roustabouts? Yes, it will. Name? It'll be under the Shelvists and Roustabouts name and. Um, like I said, you know, we are always uh, rebirthing this band. Um, rockabilly is, uh, we're based rockabilly, kind of mm-hmm. edgy. Um, but we want people to take us seriously as well. That's why we're doing our originals. Sure, absolutely. You know, Have you guys gone on tour outside of Colorado? Um, we didn't go on tour, but we did have a show at Hilton Head in uh, South Carolina. Um, that was a pretty big show. It was like... 500 people and they hired us for a conference flew us out there we stayed at the uh, resort it was really really nice yeah and uh, that's about it for now i mean we've done local you know we've been to you know places like uh, trinidad and uh, vale and uh, la junta and other places locally in denver but never outside of uh, colorado yet okay but we're working on it right right so things are Flaring up. I mean, every year it gets bigger and bigger. You know, it's a small pond getting into a bigger pond. You know? Sure, sure. You know, the fish are growing, so we have to go <laughs> to a bigger pond. So that's what's happening here. Right. Yeah. And so if people want to get a hold of you or, or find out about you, they, they can, can go to the Shelvis and the Roustabouts. If you Google Shelvis, you come up first page, number one. You are Shelvis, yeah. which I love. I love it. You, you saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people are talking about me, obviously, and, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. I mean, you have to remember, I've had a almost 22-year career here just in the state of Colorado. Sure. Not just New Jersey. You know, I've been a lot in New Jersey, too. So it's like half there and half here. So it's been kind of nice to have a library of stuff on the Internet. Sure. Yeah. That's the great thing about the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so if you want to get a hold of uh, Lori Shelvis, um, you just just Google Shelvis and the Roustabouts. It, you come up, you're all over it. People can get a hold of you. Anything else that you'd like to share with the fans, with our, with my audience? Um, just that I'm I'm was very honored to do this with you today, and thank you yeah, so much, well. Jim. You know I, I appreciate it. Uh, anytime anybody uh, takes time out of their day to uh, recognize us, uh, we we feel we have accomplished something higher in, in the level of the band so it makes us feel very honored to do this so uh, I appreciate that you had this interview with me today and uh, and the fans uh, it's all about the fans we want to say thank you thank you thank you thank you so much absolutely we love it when you come to our shows we love you when you participate in our shows we also are always willing to help people out we we do a lot of things for the community as well mm-hmm. Uh, for benefits or whatever, if they call us, you know, uh, Gary will coordinate with that individual. We did the uh, autism uh, run just not a couple months ago okay. for that organization. They asked us to do that, and we performed for them. And then, of course, um, we did also uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital and different organizations we'd like to help. And it's not all about money and just, you know, doing the big venues. We want to help people out there that need funds for even if it's a personal fund for somebody you sure. know sometimes i do pro you know private shows by myself uh to raise money for a family member who's uh having chemo and can't afford it or somebody's down in our luck or you know someone who needs uh, funds for, for food or whatever we right. do the food bank for my church uh so you know um, also for the homeless uh, centers, we do programs for that. Uh, a lot of shows we'll do for that, you know, raise money and food. So we're we're very community, you know, based. We like to do a lot for the community because they are the ones who make us who we are. You know, they come out and they buy the tickets and they promote the show and they they market us wherever. Oh, Shelvis and the Roustabouts, they helped us so much. And that means so much to us as a band, you know, personally. I mean, that just keeps us going. Yeah. And we'll yeah. do it until we can't do it anymore. That's that's how we feel about it, you know. So just want to put that out there. Well, I love that, and thank you. Yeah, and I, and I actually saw you um, 
doing a fundraising performance and uh, there was, I don't know, maybe 50 people max. And right. you put on a fantastic show and you did play that show like there was 500 people That's or 5,000. Right. I mean, you just, you were sweating and you were working it. So I, so it was great. Um, so, so Lori really is true to what she says. Uh, big shout out to the Art Institute. Thank you again for hosting us today. Yeah. And uh, Lori, Shavas Mua, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks. Appreciate thank you so much. Thank I you. appreciate it. All right. conversation with more action. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please, take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts, so tell us how we can improve. Remember... Always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art. Satisfy me, baby. Come on, baby, I'm tired of talking. This is only start talking. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Don't procrastinate, don't particularly, girls get late. You just say, wait.